Welcome to another episode of Ideas Digest with me, Conrad, and I'll break it to you right now, there's no Brooke in this episode. So she isn't even going to do the intro with me because, hey, why get your hopes up? She's not here. But, you know, keep listening. You know, it's, it's probably all right. I'm not so bad. This episode is a long one, partly because I naively thought we could keep a discussion about racism to 40 minutes. <laughs> oh no, how silly of me. How very silly. Uh, So often, big topics like racism are always put into the context of a debate with two opposing perspectives trying to prove the other perspective wrong. Now, sure, debates have their place. There's plenty of that on YouTube. There's plenty of that on Facebook. But when we prioritize debate and proving someone right or wrong, it stops us from hearing the person's story and understanding their perspective. And what I really enjoyed about this episode is that with debate pushed aside, Eddie was really able to paint a vivid picture of his experience, his upbringing, how how he's experienced racism and how he sees racism in the world and how it impacts him. With that in mind, I hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, and one more thing. If you hear the audio go echoey and low quality, it's just a friendly reminder that, yep, it's still amateur hour and I accidentally let my computer go to sleep and it stopped recording the good audio, but luckily I have my GoPro as backup, so you'll have a bit of GoPro audio for a few seconds, but it doesn't hang around long. It gets back to the high quality real quick, so enjoy. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast that puts the grey into the black and white. I came up with that myself. How do you like that one? <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're workshopping. No, that, was good. that was yeah, good. That was good. If, if you think quality's low today, it's because Brooke's actually away. So I've got to hold down the fort myself and come up with new material. But I'm sitting here with a brand new guest. His name is Eddie Hippolyte, and he's a. Do you, you, do you call yourself British? Is that what? English? Yeah, 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 yeah. British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. British. London. Well, London is a self vein. When people say, Are you from England? We're like, No, I'm from London. Okay. So, Eddie, who are you? Where are you from? And what are you I up am, to? I'm a Londoner born and bred. Uh, my family's from the Caribbean. Um, they emigrated to England from the tiny island of Grenada, the little spice island. Emigrated in the 60s, they came over as um, invitees of the Commonwealth uh, to work in England. I'm the first generation born um, from my family who were, you know, black British. Um, I moved here to Australia about six years ago for work, uh, work-wise, and we've just, we've stayed. Uh, we've, we've loved where we are. Um, it's been good for us as a move, good for us as a family. Mm. And so we just ended up staying. What job do you do here in Australia now? I am um, now, I moved here as a pastor. Um, that's what I've done historically for the, the past um, 20 years, 18. Two years ago, I started a professional development consultancy. So I, I work with companies, I, I work with schools, work with teachers, businesses, teaching resilience, um, and then working with their leaders. So tell us about your upbringing and your background. So you grew up in London. I grew up in London. I am a, I am a child of the 80s. Uh, <laughs> the 80s is when I experienced my teens. You know, but culturally, I'm a child of the 70s. Um, I grew up um, in, in, in a beautiful culture of music family. If you grew up when I grew up in London, you grew up in Caribbean homes. So when you're home, wherever you was from, if you was from the Caribbean, if you was from Africa, if you was from India, wherever family you came from, you was that in your home. In the street, you were London. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. my, my worldview was shaped um, in terms of the way I understood myself by the home and by London. You know, growing up in um, 70s London, which was difficult. Uh, it, it was difficult because London, England still hadn't come to terms with how it dealt with empire. Um, and how, you know, you have these, you go into all of these countries, um, you, you call yourself the mother country, but then the children come home. 
and England hadn't figured out how they were dealing with the children who had come home. Mm -hmm. So our generation was the generation that really um, was beginning to be more militant in terms of the way they dealt with, the way they were treated, based on our parents' contribution to the country and to the Commonwealth. You know, I grew up at the tail end of various policies that affected us as a Caribbean community, various policies that affected um, the Irish community in West London, where I came from, and then a whole stack of policies that affected working-class white people. Can you give us an you example know? of some um, of those policies? Oh, educational policies of streamlining um, young black British boys like myself, young white Irish boys into, well, out of education with the statement uneducatable. You know, so the moment that you started making, um, having problems in school, well, they're just uneducatable. So that means it streamlined them in towards um, pupil referral units and then out of mainstream mm. education. And you were on the know. tail end I was of on the that. tail end of that. You so know you caught I mean? some of it and then you, and then you went in. I caught a stack of it, man, yeah. right up the jacksies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I caught a stack of it. In terms of the way I was at the time as well, um, it, it wasn't made any easier by the fact that I was involved um, in... I, I was told that I didn't have a criminal record. I had an extended engagement with the legal system. You know what I mean? Which <laughs> sounds so way. much better. Yeah, you know better. I, mean? I can put up I with that. I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but it started um, from, from a juvenile and, and it kind of worked its way, worked its way through, through my teens. Um, but then working class people in terms of the roof tax, the poll tax, for us as black people, a, a law called the Sus Law. And the Sus Law was an old Napoleonic vagrancy law where they would use to clear people off of the streets. And it would simply be a police officer would arrest one of us. Say like when I, I got arrested for a sus, um, he would arrest me and he would arrest me for suspicion um, of committing a crime. Because you're black standing on the street. Simply because you're black standing on the street. But then they would take you to court and obviously the court system and everything is stacked against you anyway. Yeah. And all it was was my word against his word. Mm -hmm. you know? And he's, he's the cop, so. And, and he's the policeman, yeah. so obviously, you know. And so that caused the whole stack of, of social, social upheaval, actually. And riots, a lot of the riots, um, the early riots in London, the Brixton riots, it was really against um, policing. Um, and then... The system, what would what eventually became known as institutionalized racism yep. throughout the schools and yep. you know after the Scarman report like policies I mean yeah there yeah. are actually policies that determine why it is that this community here five percent of the population and ninety five percent of the prison population yeah that's actually uh -huh. a policy yeah you yep. know what I mean yeah and um and then it showed that there was institutionalized racism in the police force in education in, in um, it literally just in all stratas yeah. of British society. And mm -hmm. so that was really the time in which um, mm -hmm. I grew up. So um, tell, me, tell me about your family specifically in this time my and your family, upbringing. Well, my family, it, it's, 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 it's interesting because my family was a dual family. Now, my family is a large family. This is how large my family is. Um, my eldest, the eldest in my family turned 70 in February. Yeah, so, and I'm the baby of my family, and I turned 54 in two weeks' time. Okay, So yeah. that's how large yeah. my family is. So the, the oldest in my family, they were all born in the Caribbean. It was only the last three of us. I'm the youngest of 10, eight living, you know. So my family, they, the older ones, they were the ones that grew up, um, they were the ones that grew up in... Um, in the Caribbean and moved over, but okay. they moved over in their late teens. And you were born in London. I was born in London, okay. 65, April 65. Um, and but I grew, I grew up in a family that really absorbed so much of what I was experiencing um, in the home. Because I absorbed didn't grow up in, in, in what I didn't way? grow up in an insulated family because my brother, he was involved. He ran clubs, social engagement programs in our teens. So we were always a family that were involved in on one level or another, involved in social issues. I grew up with a mother who was a, a church-going, um, very serious, very deeply spiritual woman. Yeah. You know, Christian? So, what yeah, denomination yeah, Christian, was it? Seventh-day Adventist. Yep. We grew up within that Christian consciousness. You know? But like I said, on the flip side of my family, we was influenced um, um, by Pan-Africanism. We was influenced by Black thought. We was influenced... Um, by um, Rastafarianism. We was influenced by all of this um, 
philosophies that were teaching black awareness, um, um, black identity that were coming mm -hmm. out, that came out so strongly in the 60s because of the civil rights movement yeah. around the world. So it was a real time of that, you know, um, that real time of political upheaval and self-awareness and self-understanding for us as black people who are in diaspora. And when I say diaspora, diaspora means those of us who are scattered throughout the world because of slavery and mm -hmm. the transatlantic, you know. Mm -hmm. If you're in the Caribbean, you're there because of slavery. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the indigenous home of black people is Africa. Yeah. You know, so those of us who were born in the Caribbean, we're there because when slavery ended, that's where we were. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and then so you go from slavery into um, to colonialism, etc. So... And did you grow up being very aware of these multiple level stories? Did you grow up being aware of that you were an outsider within London? And yeah, you, you grew up understanding that you were other. Yep. You know what I mean? As a 10, 11, 12 year old in London, in the area that I grew up, I grew up in Fulham, um, just around the corner from Chelsea football ground. Um, 15 minutes walk from Chelsea football ground. So my area was a seriously racist area. And, and so I remember as a 12, between, between 11 and like 13, yeah, early 14, um, running, running for your life, running from skinheads or running from the police. Because so very violent, of them, oh my visible God, racism. Oh my God, like physical, yeah. yeah. If the police or skinheads caught you, yeah. you, you would, if they didn't kill you, they would leave you beaten bad. You know what I mean? And um, because the police are very civilized, unlike America, they don't shoot people to death. They pull out a club and they, they bludgeon you to death, you know what I mean? Which they feel is a lot more, no, we don't waste bullets, we bludgeon, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in that context. It sounds like you had a strong community and was a community almost made stronger because the community, well, the community is so other. Well, the community was forced to be made stronger yeah. because, you know, there were, there were so many things that, there was, I mean, even in education, there were Saturday schools that were set up to supplement the British education system. Because those who came from the Caribbean, they came highly educated in high school. I mean, mm. to this day, they still educate them under the old British system. So that's the leftover from colonialism. So that's the leftover yeah. colo from colonialism. You know, to the, to the British, to their credit, they were serious on education. So when people from the Caribbean came over, they actually came over highly educated. And then when they saw the way that their children were being undereducated, they started this system of what they call Saturday schools mm -hmm. that would supplement math, that would supplement English, and then at the same time that would supplement the way they understood the world in terms of um, black history, you know what I mean, identity, etc., and give, give them a much larger And did you go to of one world. of these Saturday schools? I worked in a Saturday school. Okay. I would work in a Saturday school from time to time. They were the ones that really opened up the way, my eyes to the way I saw the world as a teenager. Yeah. And, and, and I understood that I was other, but I think what, what they made me understand was why, why the world was shaped the way okay. it was in that mm -hmm. way, you know what I mean? That seems like a good point to head off into our next section. I think you can kind of gather where we're heading with this. <laughs> and I want to start off with a clickbait title for the idea that you're talking about. Now, the reason I keep going back to clickbait is because, love it or hate it, clickbait is here to stay. Yes, we want the views, but we always see new ideas in the clickbait form, whether it's written on a website, whether it's on the news, and it's always polarizing, instantly engaging, and it always elicits some kind of response. Clickbait is algorithmically designed to engage with outrage because scientifically outrage gets better response and that's why Facebook will only prioritize the various different outrageous conversations that are happening. And so I want to move, I want to continue to start at the clickbait stage and then do something a bit unorthodox, sadly now, and move into the nuance of it and yeah. unpack it there. So Eddie, <laughs> Can you give me the idea that, because this is like a massive topic, yeah, right? yeah, we're yeah. heading towards the direction of racism, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, huge, yeah. Yeah. but what is like the one idea that, that you want to talk about and clickbait it for me? I think the one idea that I want to talk about is the idea of racism and the great white hope. Um, the great white hope is really the great white lie. Okay. And essentially, it's not a lie that has been told about us. I honestly do believe it's a, white, it's a lie that white people have told themselves about themselves. So it's not a lie told about black people, it's a lie. No, it is a lie told about black people. But, but to it's a lie told to white people about, about black, black people, people and essentially about themselves. 
<laughs> All right. This is. I, I should. I should say. Um, I first came across this idea a couple of months ago, and this is. You know, this is what Facebook's good for. And now I'm. I'm getting into back into Facebook just a little bit more because I actually want to find what is making people outraged and what is fueling these contentious discussions. And I came across this. Eddie posted something. I can't remember what it, it was. was. The Gollywogs. No, 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 no. It was um. Oh, Serena Williams. It was Serena Williams in the drawing. Oh, was it Serena Williams? I think so. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Serena Williams. Serena yeah. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, some yeah, quick yeah. backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An Australian comic, yeah. mag uh, newspaper comic, drew a picture of Serena Williams, yeah. which depicted her very much like an ape looking yeah, 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 imagery. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you posted something about yeah, that saying... Yeah. And, just, uh, and just talked about why would we think that this depiction of her um, is, is right. You Acceptable know I mean? and, and because, isn't because racist. Because it's attached yeah. to a whole history of the depiction of yeah. the black body. Yeah, and, and I mean? when, when I came across that, I saw it and then it just blew up. And oh, there were yeah. people went crazy. People were going crazy, like, it's not racism, it is racism. And, yeah. and then I just went, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is something good to talk about. So, so Eddie, take mm. us from racism and the great mm. white mm -hmm. lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, generally speaking, what we do when in the West, when we look at racism, we look at racism in terms of Oh, did it, oh, I just did that. Was, was I being racist? Mm -hmm. And I, I think we, we need to stop looking at it purely, first of all, from, you know, specific behaviours. Racism, which is white supremacy, is larger than that. White supremacy is a construct, a construct that determines the way in which people move within the world. Mm -hmm. So a it's like stories that yeah, are told yeah. on a well, societal it's, level. It's, it's stories told on a societal level based on a construct that determines what, that, what those stories are. Mm -hmm. you know, so essentially speaking, white supremacy says, by the virtue of the color of skin, one person is superior to another person. Mm -hmm. Essentially, that's what it says, you know what I mean? So white supremacy, which is only, and, and whiteness and blackness by definition, is only 300 years old. It is not a it's not a historically, it's not a historical um, construct that you will see in the ancient world. You know, everyone in the ancient world were nationalists. Romans mm. were nationalists. Right. If you're and, Roman, and, you're and right. And Romans, and Romans saw themselves as racially superior to everybody else. But it was a racism, it was a nationalism based on the fact that you were Roman, not based on the fact of your color. And so wherever you were from, in the ancient world, you were Roman. If that same nationalism was based on color, there is no way people like Septimus Severus, who was the general that built Hadrian's Wall for the Emperor Hadrian, but he was an African general who was fighting in Squ Scotland at the time. He okay. said, look, these Celts are killing us down here. Hadrian sent word and said, look, just build a wall just like they got in China and just keep them out. So Septimus Severus was the general who built the wall, then went back to Rome, and became a Caesar. Mm -hmm. And his son became a Caesar after him because he was a Roman. And he was black. Yeah, 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 he was yeah. a black African. He was yeah. a black African. And he saw himself racially superior to every other nation because he was Roman, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? What changed was when Europe decided to just divide the world up amongst themselves, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And in order to do that, they had to create a construct. So the constructs they created was by virtue of the fact of our color, we are greater not by the fact of we are Europeans, you know what I mean? And so they used that to go in politically, religiously, you know, um, because they did it politically, they did it scientifically. You've got to create constructs. So they create a science that says that these people are naturally, you know what I mean? We are more naturally as intelligent as these other people. Um, they, you have to create a scientific construct. You have to create an educational construct. They even use Christianity, you know what I mean? You know, like Stevie Wonder said, you come into our land with gun and Bible in your hand. So you, you have to use all of the constructs available in order to create this whole picture, you know what I mean, that says by virtue of the fact that um, we are white and these people are black, we are naturally superior to them. And then when you do that, then you can justify everything else you do. You can justify chattel slavery. You can justify um, colonialism. You can justify imperialism. You can, you can justify all the things you do because there's a construct. There's, there's, there's this thought within, within this type of white supremacy that says that the contribution of white people is that we are the movers of history. Mm -hmm. We are the, you know, history stood still until we came along. 
what, 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 what took place was that they, the story actually of everybody else and their contribution stopped. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, even black Africans. They've gone into Africa. They've seen that we've been here for more than a minute. They've seen our contributions and they're like, damn, we're already teaching that they're, they're one-fifth of a human. That's why we're justifying slavery. All right, we've got to write ourselves into Egyptian history and show that, yeah, they, were, they, they may have built the pyramids, but they built the pyramids after we came along. Or we built the pyramids, then they came along. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's got to be a rewriting of their story, rewriting of their history. And so essentially, what, what white supremacy has done, it's created a lie. And it's told that lie to white people. And so, and so now, looking at present-day Australia, yeah, yeah. what is... Given all that history leading up to it, what, what is the great white lie that is being told? I, th I think the great white lie still is, is the notion that, by and large, one group of people are superior to another group of people. You know what I mean? We, we, may, not, we may not say it's black people now. You know what I mean? But when one man can walk into a mosque, you know what I mean, in New Zealand, massacre people, and then an Australian, an Australian MP says, well, yeah, you know, if they weren't Muslim, that is, the con that is the behavior that comes out of the construct. Mm -hmm. Because he's saying, well, they're less than us anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When you, look, when you look at that. So, I mean, even in this, in this, in, in this context in which we find ourselves here, um, I was reading some stats today, and it said that in the, the, new, the new territories, Northern Territory. Northern Territory. <laughs> I was like, where are these new, the territories? Down, down, down. <laughs> new territories? There's a new state. There's another state that you didn't know about. It's New Zealand, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> in the Northern Territories, um, in youth detention, 100% of the young people that are in, in youth detention are Aboriginal kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100% of them. Mm -hmm. um, now, either Aboriginal kids have an inherent criminal gene. Yeah that predisposes them towards crime, so they're born criminal, or there is something or Else. a construct that is still there that means they're born into something that is creating that behavior, creating that construct, you know what I mean, and creating that result at the end of it. I think that in terms of Australia, the great white lie that Australians are in danger of telling themselves is that while we may not participate in this, and while we may not believe and practice this, um, and because we have said, oh, I'm sorry, and because we give honor to, that this doesn't take place anymore where we are. Mm -hmm. So the but, lie is that racism doesn't really exist anymore. The, the lie is like, well, and if it does, it's not as bad. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Define racism the word in how you're yeah, using it. Yeah. Well, when I define the word racism, racism isn't prejudice, where you'd look at somebody and say, yeah, well, he's, you know, he, he, he's from Tasmania. You know, he's from Tasmania, so you've got to check and see how many fingers and thumbs he's got. Yeah. You know what I mean? How many fingers and toes he's got. Because, you know, they always talk about the interbreeding and, and whatnot. That, that isn't racism. That is, that, that is prejudice, and that is ignorance. Racism, by its very nature, is the ability to allow your power to inhibit a person from progressing in society. Okay, so you know what I mean? allowing your power to the stop power someone yeah, 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 moving yeah. forward. Yeah. So you, you, you can turn around and you can call me a black bastard. You know what I mean? Um, all right, that's racist terminology. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when you, use your, your, when you use the power behind that word to stop me from getting a job, or to stop me from becoming a legal immigrant, or to stop me from accessing things within the society, even though I am a, a, a functioning, tax-paying mm. citizen, a member of this society, yeah. all right, now you are practicing racism. Okay, Before so, you're just using racist terminology. So you'd almost separate it out and say, when you're using the term racism, you're talking about very uh, outcomes that are inhibiting I'm, I'm, someone's progress. I'm talking progress. about the real outcomes. You more know I mean? than just a name, more than just... Uh, name calling more than just yeah 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 because i believe that racism is deeper than that i believe that it's more than that the idea of racism the construct of racism is deeper than that how do, how do you see australia sitting in this construct of 
racism that inhibits the progress of I think people. you you would have to ask an Aboriginal person about that but funny enough I sat down um, at a church that I attend they have a feeding program and I sat down with an, an Aboriginal person now this Aboriginal person is white-skinned and is blue-eyed but when you look in their face I know I'm speaking to an Aboriginal man because his Aboriginal features, his nose, his, his, the, the, the contours of his face, the structure of his face, he's an Aboriginal man. And he said to me, you know, Eddie, I don't, have my, I don't have my language, I don't have my culture. And then one thing he said to me that shocked me because I'd never heard it before, he says, and I don't have my color. He said, I don't have my language, I don't have my culture, and I don't have my color. You know, so for me, you would have to actually speak to an Aboriginal person and ask them. Because when I was speaking to them about their story and speaking to them about my story, I said, like, I mean, I've been here, I've been here about four years now, and I don't experience racism um, here in Australia like I experienced in England. You know, it, it, it doesn't seem as bad to me. And they looked at me like, well, bully for you. <laughs> because their experience, you know, I'm talking about experiencing it from where I grew up. But they've experienced a whole other thing, you know what I mean? They've experienced their own genocides, they've experienced stolen nation, they've experienced, you know, as, as one, one, one leader said to me the other day, he said, we're invisible in this country. We are just an invisible people in this country, you know? So from, from that perspective, you would have to ask them. I mean, I would say, um, I, 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 I can tell sometimes when I walk, I walk everywhere that I am, I'm supposed to be there. You know what I mean? And I can tell sometimes when I walk in with my family, we may walk into a restaurant, we may walk into a cafe and something. Sometimes people look up and like, okay, are you supposed to be here? And I look down and I say, hey, you good? You know what I mean? And I could tell that there's less like, okay, why are you here? You know, and in my mind, I'm like, why am I here? Why am I not here? A head of food is great, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so you feel in that situation like you stand out in, well, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Newcastle is a very homogenous, pretty is. white and, city and it's of becoming, Australia. It's, become, it's, it's, it's changing bit by bit, yep. you know what I mean? But it, it, it is. But no one has ever kind of like, I've never sat next on a table and I've heard, and heard somebody mumble like, oh gosh, they're, they're, all, they're, all, they're letting them all in now, ain't they? I've, I've never heard anyone say that. This is what I noticed that was really interesting. Um, and touching on what you were saying before when you say, when you're talking about racism in Australia, we'll talk to an Aboriginal person. It's uh, Australia, because we get a lot of media from overseas, we look at America and we look at like the police brutality. We look at all those things and go, that's not us. We don't, we don't have that. We, we're not that racist. But it's almost like you're talking about there's racism has different faces and it has yeah. a different face in Australia. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're saying for you, it isn't an overt yeah, yeah. Um, di discrimination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about the conversations that you've been able to have or not been able to have with white people about this topic. Cause that's what I, that's what I found no, really funny on this thread. Yeah. It hit, it hit a nerve. It hit this, this nerve of like pretty much all white people just kind of really firing back and really defensive and like, yeah. oh, I'm not racist. Well, don't tell yeah, me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, you can't tell me that's, that's just a cartoon. That's, that's how can that be racist? Yeah. It's just a funny cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are you taking it so personally? Yeah. Tell me about your experience I, I think, with that. I think, I think that, that, you know that there's actually a sociological term called white fragility. Okay. I've heard of this. Define <laughs> yeah, well, this for us. White, white fragility is um, when, a, when a white person gets very defensive about the fact that I posted that what yeah. you saw on, yeah. on my um, Facebook feed was white fragility, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because it's a black person saying, I don't like the way that this person is being um, depicted. Mm -hmm. And a white person will say, well, why don't you like it? It's just a bit of fun. Mm -hmm. And then like I was doing, I was saying, look, there's a history behind that mm -hmm. of the depiction of the black body. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Which is a because a white person would look at that. A lot of the defences there, they would look at that and go, "Well, if they made drew a picture of um, what's a white tennis player, I don't know, Leighton yeah, 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 Stephen Graf. If they, yeah, got, yeah, 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 that, that would be, be like, a problem. Oh, it would just be funny, and I wouldn't take offence. Yeah, yeah. Why are you well, taking offence? Yeah, and, and the reason why you wouldn't take it funny because you don't navigate the world having to think about the way in which you are historically portrayed. So talk to me about the difference, because from a, from a very white perspective, I think 
my experience highly individualized my experience like my family i'm the whitest guy alive my, yeah. i've got like <laughs> i got my immediate family yeah. like at my wedding there was like 15 people from my side and most of it was from brooke's side but it's like i had an auntie hadn't seen her in yeah. like 10 years i was like oh, i don't even know who that is like no nah, no nah, we got to cut numbers cut cut so <laughs> sounds brutal but to kind of give you something to contrast it to that I experienced this when, when, when Australia, 2008 or something, 2007, the great apology. The, the typical Australian response, and not everybody obviously, was, hang on, why, are, why am I apologising? I didn't do anything to you and we didn't do it to you. And it's, it's a very individualised construct. It seems like we all exist in, I'm born, I'm separate from my family. I'm definitely separate from my cousins. The Mikowski family for me is just me and my, yeah. my dad and my mum. Yeah. So contrast yeah. the difference so, there. Yeah, I think, I think the, 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 the difference is, historically there is a narrative that is created around the way I look. You know what I mean? That says certain things like, you see, for instance, in, um, um, in Hollywood, there's been this whole thing about blackface. Yep. You know what I mean? Gucci did this blackface bag. This one did this blackface. And people are like, well, it's just harmless fun. We went yeah, to a yeah. bunch of dress parties. What is yeah. it? But if you look at the history of blackface, the history of blackface in entertainment, black and white minstrels, the gollywog, all of this has been about depictions of the black face and depictions of the black body and a devaluation and, and a discrediting and a dismissing of anything that is black and the way we see ourselves, you know what I mean? Once again, if you can define the fact or you can say that you are greater than this person or you are superior to this person, then the way you depict that person really doesn't matter. Um, when you saw the white response to the way black people were feeling, mm -hmm. you know, um, black people are saying, well, look, there's a history behind this. And white people are saying, well, I don't know about that history. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. And black people are saying, okay, but you know now. So it does apply to you. You know, we learn racism in its most basic term in England with this joke. There was an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scottishman. And that's how you learned racism. Because you know that the Englishman was going to come out on top yep. and the Irishman was the butt of the joke. Yeah. Because the English decided to depict the Irish as being ignorant and dumb. I don't like those jokes. But the English are like, well, that's the way we see you, so whatever. You know? So I think the, 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 the contrast is being, if you navigate the world in such a way that I don't see what it is, and then I turn around and say, well, let me introduce you into the way that I navigate the world so that you can see it. I think just out of respect for the fact that we are both human beings navigating the world, mm -hmm. you have a duty to at least listen to what I'm saying and say that the way Serena is, and, and you know, Serena has a history of that in tennis anyway. You know, whether it be um, coaches calling her an actual ape or saying that she's a man, or saying that she's on steroids. I mean, she's had a history of it. Even when Maria Sharapova was banned from tennis for taking drugs, she was still making more money than Serena. It was common who said, is it a felony or misdemeanor? Maria Sharapova making more, um, Maria um, Sharapova making more than Serena. You know what I mean? So Serena has a history of this. So when, when we see this, or when I see this, knowing that history, and knowing that history through sports, then, then I am going to just call it what it is, and I'm going to see it for what it is. So why, why does history change that? How do you mean change? Like, if you, if, you, if you look at the picture and are unaware of the history, and then go, oh, well, it's just a funny comic, and then suddenly there's a history behind it. Mm -hmm. History changes it. Yeah. Because you have to say... Well, if that's the history behind it, why the hell are we still doing that? Mm -hmm. That's how it changes it. You know what I mean? If you know that there's a whole history behind this picture and this depiction, and, and you understand where it comes from, the question you have to ask is not so much, well, why are they getting upset? The question is, well, why do we still tolerate this? If there's a history behind that and it's a proven history, then why is it that we are still having pictures like that in our press? Why is it that as a country, we think that this is okay? Why is it that we are arguing against it and saying there's nothing wrong with it? Because there is actually a history behind that. You know, there is a history behind that based on a construct. 
you know, take Donald Trump. Donald Trump turns around and calls people animals. They're not immigrants, they're animals. Come on now, what do you do with animals? You can do whatever you want with animals because they're wild, they're feral. You know what I mean? If you refer to human beings in that same way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's almost like you're, you're saying that the picture or the words and the way in which you reference another culture, another um, religion, another race, that creates a story that feeds a construct and the construct of society that therefore maybe in some way prepares society to... So Donald Trump probably in some ways, I think he's smarter than he lets on, deliberately refers to immigrants mm-hmm. as animals mm-hmm. to dehumanise, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. then say, well, mm-hmm. yeah, separate them from the kids, yeah, mm-hmm. build the wall, because mm-hmm. they, they aren't mm-hmm. human like mm-hmm. you and me, yeah, and to yeah. reduce empathy. Yeah. And so are you, are you kind of saying that... I'm not saying that the stories do that. I'm saying that the construct is alive, and out of the construct, we're still telling those stories. So these stories come from the construct oh, man, and feed the there. construct? Yeah. So and it feeds, it feeds. So this is a clue of the construct that still exists. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, if yeah. an Australian was to say, nah, racism doesn't really exist in yeah, Australia, you're then you're, you're, saying, you're saying here is the yeah. evidence of yeah. a story yeah, yeah, being yeah, yeah, yeah. told. Well, when Fraser Anim, when a member of parliament turns around and says, well... Shouldn't well, have been there. They shouldn't have been Muslim. They shouldn't have been there. And the Bible says you live by the sword, you die by the sword then you know that the construct is still alive. Because it's that construct that gives, that gives birth to those words. Because come on now, man. come on now. There, there's, there, there is no way you can justify that. The murdering of the, the children? I mean, come on now, there is nothing that justifies that. There is, there is nothing that justifies that, you know what I mean? By and large, this is it. I'm saying that racism and white supremacy right around the world has told a lie. And it's, and, and it's a lie that's created that has told white people we are better than these people. You know what I mean? But once you do that, what it is, you actually build a wall that doesn't allow you to hear my story. You know what I mean? That doesn't allow you to put my... What, my, is, my, what is that wall? I think that wall is just a wall of ignorance. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wall of ignorance. It's a wall of other. No, mm-hmm. you're other. So I don't need to know you. I know your story. I know why you did that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, you think a lot of what you find as racism in Australia would be people going along with a system that already exists and unaware of any history. And because you're unaware of a history, you're therefore ignorant and therefore heavily impacted by the stories that suppose you're you're already impacted by a narrative anyway. In In my daughter's school, in my daughter's school, white kids are asking my daughter, can I get a buy using the N using the N word? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I said to my daughter, you need to say this to them. You need to define why it was you created the N-word, because black people didn't create the N-word. Yeah. The N-word were created by white people to define black people. You need to, under, you need to tell me why it was you needed to create the idea and that word to define us, and why it is you still want to use that word. You know what I mean? Why it is you still, you still want to use that word? Um, because, like I said, it's a, it's a larger narrative that tells smaller stories within it. Like within Australia... I think one of the ways in which you'll see that, that um, narrative played out, let's take young African kids. Um, young Australian kids from the Sudan, yeah? They're born here. Their parents came here in the 80s, but they're here. They're finding it hard to settle into this culture, you know what I mean? Because when one culture meets another culture, there's a certain level of synergy. There's stuff that you take on, there's stuff that you lose. So when the kids go in in gangs, they say, well, they're in gangs. You know, there's a group of 10 black um, kids over there, black kids, and it's a gang of black kids. But further up down the road, there's a a group of white kids. Oh, there's a group of white kids. It's very specific language, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, that paints a certain picture. Oh, we have a problem with the African kids. They're not African kids, they're actually Australian. Mm-hmm. They're not African kids. But because they're black, they're African. But because they're black and yeah. because they are actually from Africa, but they're citizens, they're born yeah. here. Yeah. Some of them are now first generation. So they have ceased to be, once they're getting in problems, they have ceased to be um, Australian kids. They're born here, went to primary school here, went to high school here. Now they're getting into antisocial behavior like all kids do. You know what I mean? But all of a sudden now, they've be- they have become the immigrant group that um, and which feeds into our immigrant problem, which feeds into these kids coming from Africa, which feeds into the and they're Muslim because they're Sudanese. Which I think, from the Australian perspective, there's 
there's a way of still looking at this narrative in, in such a way that doesn't allow you to, number one, deal with them as what they are, Australian kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Black kids, white kids, you know. There was, this, there was this clip the other day on Facebook of this party, and it's an African kid. Um, some African kids, um, the police came to arrest, um, to, to break up, the, I think it was a fight, so the police came in. It was just a family thing. And, but, you know, and one of the daughters punched the policeman in the face, bang! And people are like, oh, that's why you shouldn't let them in here, lock them up, these yeah. animals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I, I put, you know, I just couldn't help myself. I stayed out as long as I could. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's Facebook, right? The I, algorithm's I, I put it up the top. I stayed out as long as I could, but then I put that clipping up. I don't know if it's a couple of months ago, where this group of white, um, um, this white family was battering these two police officers, like yeah. banging his head against the, f I mean, they put a yeah. beating on them. And, and I said, well, maybe these African kids thought it was just the Australian way. Because they're Australian kids. <laughs> they're just Australian kids, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. the language separated, you know what I mean? This is just a, a you know, terrible behavior from, from, these, from these people and, you know, they're misguided. Oh, these are these African immigrants that are, you know, but both of them did the same. Well, actually, the girl punched, the, you know, the girl punched a policeman in the face and the policeman handled her. These two policemen were on the floor being battered and it was, it, it was not apples and pears. Yeah. You know I mean, it was two different but things. But the story that's told, the whether it's a story by the told, media, yeah, yeah. by... Which is, which is based on this wider narrative um, of, well, this is the African problem. This is why we shouldn't let in these immigrants. This is why we should tighten up on immigration. This is why, you know, the invasion. Yeah, and, and, and like you were saying, they're always other because of the color of the skin. So when some criminal behavior happens because someone's black, yeah. the immediate reaction is yeah. go back to where you came from. Yeah. Kids like, I yeah. was born yeah. here. Uh, yeah, where do I come from? Uh, uh, I'm from Dubbo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I come from yeah. Dubbo. Like, yeah. Well, well, oh, all right then. No, where did your parents come back? Come from, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, you, I'm from here. Do you think that, just going into some questions now that some people have sent through, do you, do you think that white people have the capacity to understand the nuance of what you're talking about or the experience? What do you think the limitations of with someone like myself to understand your perspective? I, 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 I think there are no limitations on, you know, you understand what you want to understand. Right. And you take on what it is you want to take on. Um, I, I think... What do you think the limitations are? I think the limitations... I think we put limitations when it comes to, all right, what am I going to have to do about this? Right. Do you know what I mean? You know so I mean? like we're, we're good to, to agree with it yeah. and go, yeah, oh, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, racism's yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But go on. Yeah, but then, you know, all right, okay, so what are we going to do about this now? Mm -hmm. I think, oh, well, I don't know what to do about it. Okay, I wish you never told me this. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. I think the limitations, I think we put the limitations on it because once you know something to be true, you actually have to live in a different way to what it is you now know. Mm -hmm. And put up with the tension if you're not living in that way, the I'm, tension I'm, yeah, yeah, of yeah. encountering it yeah, and yeah, seeing it, yeah, and maybe yeah. even the helplessness yeah, yeah. to do anything about it. I, I, I think, I think from, a, from a white perspective, um, I think white people have a, a, um, a duty to understand the way in which their world is constructed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, keep going. A, a black person and a white person moves through Australian life in two different ways. If I was to ask an average white person, what does it mean to be white in Australia? You'd be like, you'd probably talk about what it means to be Australian. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You ask an average black person who lives in, um, in, in Sydney, or you ask a black person who lives in Melbourne, what does it mean to be black in, in, in Australia? And they will tell you about the way in which they have to move. They will talk about the way in which they have to walk into buildings. They will talk about the way in which they have to position themselves on transport. They will talk about being conscious of the fact that when they're on a train, um, a seat will come up and the seat is packed, and they will see people get on the train, look at the seat, look who's sitting next to them, and wonder, oh, I don't want to sit there. Do I? A black person will tell you this. They will be conscious. We have to be conscious of the fact the way, of, way we move in the world. You know what I mean? Whereas, whereas uh, uh, a white person wouldn't. And I think... Uh, so it's invisible, yeah, 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 for, it's invisible for the white person yeah, because yeah, yeah, they don't have to encounter no, that no, situation. No, they don't have yeah. to encounter it. You know what I mean? I remember I was, I was walking in Newcastle and I came out of a shop and there was a lady just in front of me and, and as I came out of the shop, she was walking past 
And I wasn't even looking at her. And, but I noticed that she looked up at me and she grabbed her bag. Mm. And me being me, I couldn't help it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like really, love? I'm like, what the hell? Really, love? And like, you could see she became really embarrassed. I'm like, yeah. seriously? Yeah. Really, love? You know, and she was like, oh, oh, you know, but I don't know what her experience has been. But she yeah. lives in a world or she lives within a construct that sees me in this way. And this wasn't even a white person. This was an um, Asian looking woman. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. You know, so I so you're I, reminded mm-hmm. of your otherness I am with little of actions other- yeah, like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. that. Simple little things like that. Now, I'm not saying that I experience that everywhere. Yep. I'm not saying that at all. Every time I walk in, I go into Goldbergs. People are looking up and snatching their bags. My, my experience has, has been with statements. Yep. <laughs> I was in a church one morning. And it was kind of dark at the back of the church, you know what I mean? Um, and because, you know, the lights were moody, you know. <laughs> I was getting ready to speak that morning, and I was talking with a gentleman whose who's, who's, um, daughter attended the church. And we was just having a good little talk, and the wife came in from the back, you know what I mean? And um, he said, oh, this is my wife. I forgot her name, Susan. Oh, this is my wife, Susan. Um, and she was like, oh, it's a good thing that you smile, because I could hardly see you. I was just like, right. bloody hell, love. It's a bit too early in the morning for that level of racism. You know what I mean? But that's what I thought in my mind. I thought it in my mind, but I didn't say oh, that's it. That's a good goal. That's I kind of looked at her. I looked at her, and then I looked at her husband, and he was just like, sorry. Yeah, you know I just like, bro, I'm real, real sorry. And I didn't respond. I just went back to him. So for me, that's the level of what people are saying things, you know. A, a group of friends of mine, even a group of friends of mine, um, from Colombia. One of them was um, actually Greek, and he used the term wogs. He says, yeah, we're all wogs together, aren't we? You know what I mean? And I'm like, hey, 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 no, 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 no. We're not wogs together. Because we hear the word wog in England different from how you hear the wog, yeah. word wog in Cultural Australia. Context, yeah. You know what I mean? When we hear the word wog, we hear the word gollywog. Okay. You know yeah, what I mean? Different so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear the word, word gollywog. We hear the word nigger. Yeah. So I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't use the term wog to describe ourselves. Yeah. We don't use it together, you know. And he was mm-hmm. actually going to England to speak. And I had to text him, like, bro, don't, <laughs> don't use the word wog. No, you know? word. Because he was yeah. going to be speaking to like large groups of black people. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't use the word wog. Don't use it anywhere in England. You yeah. know what I mean? It's about hearing each other's stories and it's about understanding the world in which you, you live and understanding the world in which I live. I think it's about understanding the history behind the history that we're taught. Mm. It's, it, it sounds like all these instances and all these stories and all these encounters you've had or somebody else has had, it, it creates, it adds to that story that exposes your otherness mm-hmm. To yourself and, yeah. and reminds you, yeah. you're not really Australian. You're not really yeah. British, even though you're born there, yeah, yeah, even yeah, though all yeah, those yeah. things. But here's the kicker. Yeah. Here's the kicker. My wife and I went to university in Jamaica. So my wife's family is from Jamaica. My family is from Grenada. So when we went down <laughs> into Jamaica, they was like, no, nah, you ain't from Jamaica. You're British. Uh, you're English. I went to Grenada. I'm like, yeah, you know, because Jamaica ain't going to accept you. I went to Grenada. No, no, no. You ain't Grenadian. You're British. You're English. So you belong nowhere. So that's You're why I say no, I'm a Londoner. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, so in, in, in some cases, that kind of otherness, the otherness, you know what I mean? But the, the otherness in, in the Caribbean isn't based on the fact that we are black. It's based on the fact that you're not born here. Whereas the otherness that is based here is based on the fact that this is your color. You know what I mean? And your color isn't this color. And by extension of that color, you know what I mean? The world is always going to be different for you because we determine your world. If you're the other to wherever you are and always reminded you're another, then it's easy for political people. It's easy Mm -hmm. to use that Mm -hmm. other for um, advancement of different stories, different economic stories. Well, the immigrant comes over and takes all our, like, all our Centrelink. Takes all our jobs. Takes all our jobs. But how can they take our welfare and all our jobs? Like, (laughs) right? But if they're the other, it's easy to do that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... at its heart, you yeah. know, white supremacy is destruction. It's destruction. 
You know what I mean? Because it is that, it is that type of nationalism. Yeah. It's that type of nationalism that's based on a racist way in which you see them and choose to see even them. Which is always I mean? us versus them, it's inside versus outside. It's always going to be us versus them. It's not going to be us as a, as, as a human family. It's not going to be us completely. You know what I mean? So really, at the, at the heart of white supremacy is actually the death of everyone. If this level of racism is a collection of stories that are indicative of the a construct, larger yeah, the, the larger, yeah. say, Australian yeah. construct, if these uh, racist things are indicators of that. And, and so essentially, if it comes from the top, it's kind of built into culture because the culture grows from the construct that it operates within. What can be done about it? Is it possible to change? Oh, and, 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 and on what level would that change oh, take man, place? Believe me. I believe in the power of sitting at tables, eating food, and sharing stories. I mean, it's literally the only way you're going to do it. What story does is story pokes holes in constructs. What can be done is we have to sit down and we have to start looking at a wider narratives, a broader history, and, and then we have to come to terms with the things that we see and figure out on local levels how we change that and how we teach our children to see that differently. You know what I mean? As we get older and we have children, we have to teach them a different narrative. We have to empower them to see the world in a different way. Wrapping up, what books have you read or movies that you've watched that have really articulated well the ideas you're talking about? Michael Eric Dyson is a brilliant writer. James Cone. Even on Netflix, the work that Ava DuVernay has done, and she's done a film called The 13th, and it looks at the 13th Amendment. And it shows that slavery in America never stopped. Mm -hmm. They just actually just changed the terminology and how they created the prison industrial complex. Yeah. Tanahasi Coates, um, he's I've a brilliant, he's a brilliant writer. He's written a book called Between the World and Me. And if people want to follow your work if and you what you're doing. If you want to follow my work, I, um, you can follow me at eddiehippolite.com. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, yeah. um, eddiehippolite. I've, I've just wrote a new book called Living From Here. And it's about the way in which we find resilience for living. You can, if you're on Facebook, you can find the Living From Hair page. I post up on there, do vlogs on there. Eddie Hippolyte, thanks for talking to me. <laughs> oh man, no, thank you for having me on. And listen, more power to what you're doing, uh, thank all these you. conversations. Mm. You know, I, I will continue to follow you avidly. Thanks for listening. I do think that that episode was probably just the beginning of that topic we'll probably revisit it in the future so if you had any thoughts or perspectives you'd like to share any ideas or things you liked or disliked hey we're open to criticism send us an email to ideasdigest at gmail.com you can find us on instagram send us a dm at ideasdigest and if you think of any topics that need to be discussed if you know someone that has quite a strong opinion on something if you have an idea or read an idea that changed your life, send us an email. We'd love to talk about it. Always looking for new ideas because all these ideas come straight from you guys, the ground level of all ideas, people. I am currently recording and releasing an election special. So if you know a Liberal voter, Greens voter, One Nation voter or a Labor voter who is open to sharing why they have that political persuasion, Send me an email. Would love to talk to them. I've recorded one episode so far and three more to come. Episode one of my political series will be out next week. So stay tuned for that. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll see you next time.